Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Spiritual Insights with Charlotte Spicer. Spirituality and Metaphysics Talk Radio, featuring a course in miracles, dream interpretation, guided meditation, and the psychic and metaphysics free-for-all. It's your opportunity to consult with a professional psychic medium, discuss past lives, the chakras, and more. We are non-denominational, and there are no limits. Want to change your life? You must first change your mind. 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 No matter your religious structure, cultivate peace in your reality through self-awareness with an authentic spiritual teacher. And now, your host, Charlotte Spicer. Welcome to Spiritual Insights. Thank you so much for tuning in. It is time, once again, for our monthly installment on A Course in Miracles with Robert Rosenthal, MD. Dr. Bob joins me on the second Thursday of each month at 3 p.m. Eastern to discuss topics from the perspective of A Course in Miracles. Additional commentary is frequently offered by from Dr. Bob's book, From Plagues to Miracles. A student of A Course in Miracles since before it was even published, Dr. Bob was a close personal friend of Bill Setford, Ph.D., who is the co-scribe of A Course in Miracles with Helen Chuckman and has served on the board of directors of the Foundation for Inner Peace, the publisher of the course since 1992. He's a board-certified psychiatrist in private practice near Princeton, New Jersey, and he authored the book From Plagues to Miracles, The Transformational Journey of Exodus from the Slavery of Ego to the Promised Land of Spirit. The book interprets, interprets... the book interprets the biblical story of Exodus. These segments are presented, if you're new to the show, they're presented in virtual class format. Dr. Bob will give a brief discourse, and after some discussion, listeners are invited to call in with their questions. Feel free to do so in the second half of the show. To learn more about the book and read excerpts, visit his website, FromPlaguesToMiracles.com. You can also connect with us on Facebook at From Plagues to Miracles, and of course on my page, Spiritual Insights Radio. Well, welcome back to the show, Dr. Bob. It's wonderful to be together again. Thank you. And uh, I realize since if you're listening archive, this won't matter. But uh, if you're listening live, yeah, this is not the second Thursday of the month. We had to no. jigger it this year. <laughs> but yeah, welcome. We switched it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so how how are you? I'm excited to talk about the topic today, which is about, of course, the ego, the ego mind, slave master, yes. thief, and murderer. Mm-mm-mm. And like you said, yeah, it really paints a, we all have a, a, a lovely picture. <laughs> Go ahead, I'm sorry. But it's in, in, in the figurative sense, absolutely, although sometimes these things can be quite literal in people's, yes. in people's willingness to believe in their thoughts and their beliefs and, and those things that they hold to be true, not recognizing that they are delusional, and that the illusion is that in order to control another person, I have to be more powerful, I have to do this, or stealing what we want from a relationship, be it stability, or, you know what I mean, or even murder is a real fact in this this chaotic world, and it's the ego that drives people to do that. So perhaps we'll touch on those a little bit. I know I um, want to talk a good bit about this chapter, um, one and two in your book, which are phenomenal and clearly outline the mechanics 
of the ego. It's yeah. so it's so easily um, digested when you read it from this perspective, especially since you are a psychiatrist. And that's true. And, and and so what he did with the book, if you're new to the show, ladies and gentlemen, he took the story of Exodus from the Bible, the one where Moses goes to Pharaoh and tries to free the slaves, and broke it down symbolically, practically, line by line, and it's phenomenal. And if you're a student of the course, or if you would like to be, it's my recommendation that you read From Plagues to Miracles first as a primer, and then get into A Course in Miracles, because the concepts are a bit complicated, but that's why Dr. Bob and I do these segments every month. So let me turn it over to you, Dr. Bob. Where would you like to begin? Well, since the show is about the ego mind, uh, I'm going to begin with the idea of of the ego and what is it. There's a lot of confusion about this um, because in the world of psychotherapy and psychiatry, Ego is given a very different um, connotation than A Course in Miracles would give it or than, you know, many spiritual paths would give it. So let's start there. The word ego itself um, is really kind of a a scientific uh, highfalutin term for what Sigmund Freud called um, das Ich, which is in German the I. But when psychoanalysis was imported to the United States, um, they wanted to make it medicalized. It was only available um, to be practiced by physicians. So they took a lot of the common words that Freud used, the I, the it, um, you know, being pushed back, and turned them into ego and it and repression. But so if you're talking to a psychotherapist, they're going to tell you, oh, having a strong ego is a good thing. Um, you know, we want to take uh, impulses and, and bind them so that, you know, your ego is in charge and not your id or your superego. But that's not at all what we're talking about in the spiritual sense, because if we're looking at A Course in Miracles or any non-dual philosophy, um, what we come upon is that the I that we think of as us is not our true self. Now, th- Pause and and think about that for just a second. The you that's sitting here listening is not your true self. How can that be, right? Mm -hmm. Well, let me me explain. So um, there are two ways that we can come at this. uh, And A Course in Miracles tends to come at it from what I would call a top-down approach. That is to say, okay, we somehow separated ourselves from God what got formed in that separation was the ego mind, and not even at the level of the individual like we all experience it, but almost this collective ego that knows only separation. It was born in separation, therefore all it can do is create more separation. Um, It's a fragment, therefore all it can do is see things in terms of fragments. uh, this is, I, I, I think this is the deepest level of meaning um, of the phrase, you know, by their fruits you shall know them. Um, that, you know, you can't, you can't take something that's broken and fragmented and create wholeness out of that. It, it's simply mm-hmm. impossible. But so from this top-down approach, we have something, this, this entity that is separate, that's separate from God, and yet God is everything. God is all. Therefore, that which thinks it's separate from God has to be an illusion. Um, But this illusion goes about very fiercely and very assiduously trying to prove that it's real. And if it's real, 
then guess what? Can't be real. Because if God's real, then the ego has no place to go. So the ego's primary goal is autonomy. Um, that is independence. That is, I don't need anyone or anything. Here in the United States, uh, you know, we see this, this played out in the myth of, you know, the, the cowboy or the, 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 the self-sufficient pioneer who can live off the land. You know, we don't need anyone. Yet in point of fact, the ego is constantly so insecure that it's always trying to bolster up its frail sense of self uh, by stealing from others, by comparing, um, by attacking. I mean, in fact, the characteristics of the ego would have to be attack and defense, judgment, specialness, comparison, anger. Um, not a very pretty compendium of, uh, of traits if you really look at it. But the ego has to attack because it thinks that being separate from God, that God is attacking it. And I'm not going to go into all the, uh, the ins and outs and, 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 uh, of how that works. Um, because as Char and I were talking before this segment, you know, we could spend probably a three-day workshop just looking at the ego. <laughs> um, but, but so, um, <laughs> you know, the ego is constantly in the process of of bolstering its frail reality at the expense of spirit, at the expense of oneness. So that's the top-down view. The bottom-up view is what I like to, um, what I come at in from plagues to miracles, and that is to say, let's let's start where we are. You know, we all think that we're a self. We all see ourselves as separate. You know, you go outside, you wander the streets, you uh, sit down with your family, you're seeing separate bodies, different personalities. Um, you know, that is the world that we live in. And we take that as, as just natural. We, no, we don't question it. So I like to start with that world and, and just begin to, um, to have us really look at it. I mean, the Course says uh, in, in the chapter, The Dynamics of the Ego, which I uh, listed, you know, as a recommended reading, no one can escape from illusions unless he looks at them, for not looking is the way they are protected. Because we have to look at this. Now, that's different than the ego getting lost in analyzing itself and just, you know, um, like a pig in mud, just having a great old time, you know, who are we and what are we, without ever taking that the next step to, well, if ego is illusion, then, then only our spiritual nature is real. But if we start bottom up, then we can look at what the individual ego is, that is, the parts of us that we think constitute our self-concept, and from there begin to see how everyone creates one of these things for himself or herself, everyone projects and creates them for someone else. Uh, you know, in, in, in my uh, psychiatry residency, we were absolutely taught to analyze someone else's ego. What are their strengths? What are their weaknesses? What are the places that we can uh, shore them up? Um, but I think in this way, you'll get a much better sense of, of just, how, just how stuck we are, just how enslaved we are. Therefore, how do we know, um, how, how, how do we put together this thing we call our self-concept? And, and Char um, was clear, um, this is all covered in the first and second chapters of my book. So our self-concept, as I understand it, is, is, is cobbled together from three different aspects of our seeming reality. 
And note, none of these are spirit. The first, which really comes right out of psychoanalytic thinking, is that we're a body. You know, our earliest experiences of life, well before language comes on the scene, really before we can even differentiate with our eyes or our ears what sights mean or what sounds mean, our first perception of self is a body self. You know, we know when we're uncomfortable. We know when we're hungry. Uh, we know when we're cold or hot. Uh, and how our external environment responds to that already begins to condition our view of what we think the world we live in is. Um, so, for example, if you're hungry and nobody picks you up and feeds you when you're two months old, and this happens consistently, you start to make associations, and again, this is all part of the ego mind, that, um, you know, I, I don't get fed my needs don't get seen or acknowledged or met. And that could result in uh, a self that goes out in the world trying desperately to get seen and get his or her needs met. Or it could result in a self that goes, screw it, there's no point, nobody ever does meet your needs, so I'm going to be completely autonomous and independent and I'm not going to give back anything to anyone, why should I? Um, but the body, the, the sense of the body is, is kind of the first pillar in what I like to call the three pillars of, of the ego mind. The second is what happens when language comes on board. Uh, we start developing language anywhere between, you know, one and four years of age. Uh, Albert Einstein apparently didn't talk till he was five, but obviously he was exceptional. <laughs> um, language helps us further divide the world because now every single thing that we look at, hear, experience can be categorized through words. So I'm sitting here and I look out my window and I see trees and leaves and sky and clouds and grass. Uh, if you were in New York City and you, you know, you'd be hearing sirens and cars and taxi horns honking and if you looked out the window there'd be people walking. Um, but we have names for all of these things and notice, the moment we start looking at the world through the lens of language and names, we're splitting it up more. Um, we're no longer seeing in wholeness. We're no longer uh, feeling connected. We're standing apart from those objects and viewing them as not us. But this helps bolster our self-concept because, okay, I'm not a tree. I'm not a dog. I'm not the grass. I am my body. Um, so language uh, further reinforces that sense of separateness that is such a hallmark of the ego. But the mind, the ego mind, I'm sorry, takes that even further and develops its own inner voice. Uh, and just about everyone I've talked to has had one of these. Um, and it's that, that voice that sits up there in your head uh, and talks to you day and night. Oh, yeah, you know, we should do that. Oh, yeah, we better get prepared because Aunt Mary's coming. And, you know, she doesn't like a messy house, so I'm going to clean up the house here. Uh, oh, that bill's coming. I wonder how I'm going to get it paid. The, the inner dialogue, only it's not a dialogue. It's a monologue. The inner voice doesn't want to hear back from you. It just wants to tell you what to do. This becomes identified with our sense of self. Uh, and you know, in my own um, psychotherapy work, I try very hard to help people realize that that voice is not them. It's amazing how critical that inner voice can be, and, and yet still how some people believe it's them. Oh, I'm so hard on myself. Well, 
No, it's some voice in you that you learned from somewhere else and took into your head that's being hard on some self-concept that you've woven together out of the body and your previous experiences. All of it is is basically illusion. Um, So this voice in our heads becomes the second pillar of self, using language to further divide us from the world, to separate us from other people, to compare and judge. I'm tall, he's short. Oh, I could probably beat him up, but she's a lot smarter than I am. Uh, she embarrasses me. I don't want to be around her. Uh, you know, we again, we start to categorize and build walls around the sense of self based on these comparisons. Obviously, this triggers emotions, triggers shame. It can trigger anger, can trigger fear. You know, I'm seeing a scary dog. Uh, or, or fear, gee, uh, I can't pay my mortgage. They might come to take my house away. <clears throat> so, so the inner voice becomes a real tyrant. Um, and I think if we're going to begin to look at the ego mind uh, and our enslavement to it, that inner voice is often uh, a very good place to start. But there is a third pillar of ego, and this is the one that I don't, that, that, that very few people identify. And if I hadn't had a course in miracles and a lot of training in memory and uh, what goes into memory and false memories, I wouldn't have come at this either. And that is the third pillar of ego is, is, is memory. That is to say, it's your life story. It's that sense that you are this continuous being who has lived your entire life out um, with a series of memories that you have held on to as being very, very much a part of you, formative to who you are. Uh, and, and yet psychology shows us that memories are very, very um, changeable. In fact, the brain doesn't even remember. What the brain does is it recreates the memory chemically when you call it up. This is why those of us who are a little more senior in years, you know, I'll think of a movie and I'll be, I'll say to my wife, you know, what was that movie with that guy and the plot? You know, the brain takes a while to come up with, oh, that was, you know, that that was uh, Glenn Close and Woody Harrelson or whatever. Um, so memory gives us this illusion that we have continuity, continuity over time. And memory really creates this sense that, we as a being, as a sense of self, occupy primarily the past and then project that past out into the future to see where we're going, but completely skirts over the present moment, which, if you've stopped to pay attention at any point, is the only time that any of us are ever living in. To me, this is the greatest, um, the greatest hoax, the greatest cover that the ego pulls is to make us believe that, that yeah, we're past and future and the present, yeah, you know, that's just this kind of way station um, where the future becomes the past. In point of fact, the present is all there is. We're always in an eternal present. Um, my metaphor for this, and if you've listened to my talks before, you know I'm very, very fond of metaphor. My metaphor would be, it would be like going into a movie theater and actually believing that everything you're seeing on the screen is not only real, but you're there. So if you're, uh, you know, I was watching Homeland the other night. Oh, I'm in Pakistan, and, you know, now I'm in the hills of Afghanistan. No, you're not any of those places. You're sitting there looking at a wall with a blank screen on it that has these projections going by that you have taken to be reality. 
this is what happens um, with the ego and our life story and the overlooking of the present moment. So these are the three pillars of ego. And when you put them together, you get a life story, a voice in your head that you've identified with you, um, giving you a running commentary on everything you're doing wrong, or if you're on the more narcissistic end of things, how wonderful and brilliant you are and how much better you function than everyone else. Um, combined with a body that, if you're young, seems to work pretty great and you're really kind of, uh, you know, enjoying it. But as you get older, stops working so well and becomes more a source of sickness, illness, infirmity. But the problem with the body, as we all know, no matter what age, is that eventually, dot, 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 it's going to die. And so here becomes the second point that completely undermines our self-concept and our ego self which none of us want to look at, and that is that, that there is an end point. There is death. The ego is not eternal. Uh, the ego perishes with the body and, uh, and the cessation of the mind. If we're identified with the ego, if we believe that we are it, then guess what? We're going to be terrified of death because death will mean the end of us. And at least in this regard, psychology has recognized how much of human behavior and human endeavor is about the denial of death and the avoidance of death. Um, at least there they're paying attention, unlike you know, looking at the present moment because psychology, um, you know, puts the past on a pedestal and I'm as guilty of this as anyone looking at how our past contributed to who we are today. Um, so, so the ego is a very unstable construct. Uh, memory is changeable. It's going to die. It's rooted in the body, but the body, you know, isn't really all too terribly trustworthy. The body, if you're a body, is always at some level worried about survival, and I imagine this was far worse in the past than it is now. <clears throat> but still, you know, today we just equate money with survival. You know, am I going to have enough? Can I get to work? Could I be fired? Um, you know, am I going to stay in good health? So, so the ego um, is kind of like this terrified, frightened child who pretends to be in control, pretends to have all the answers, um, attacks others and defends against others' perceived attacks uh, in order to preserve its ego integrity. Um, and yet, all the while, it, it doesn't really know who it is. Um, of course, in Miracles tells us that the ego's motto is, seek but do not find. Absolutely. The ego can never find because the only thing that it that, that, that is worth finding, in a sense, the only truth that is out there is unavailable to the ego, and that is the truth of our of our real nature as as no different than God, as you know, son of God, as child of God. The ego can't get there um, any more than uh, you know uh, your shadow can become you. Uh, they're, they're they're just different categories uh, of existence. So let's take a little segue now if this is our self-concept what what how do we get out of it well first we have to realize that we're enslaved to it and and this is where i love the story of exodus because it so beautifully portrays the idea that you can be enslaved and not even realize that you're enslaved or that it's a bad thing 
you know, if the ego is your sense of self and the world out there is a real world that you are doing your darn best to just, you know, get through and find a, find a few pleasures here and there and avoid pain where you can, and the ego keeps you dancing and seeking and searching, and, well, that relationship didn't work out, but, you know, there will be another one. Um, I was a screenwriter. I'd write a screenplay, and, you know, it would almost make it, well, that one didn't, but, you know, the next one, the next one. Uh, that could be one of the ego's mottos. You know, next time we'll strike it rich. Next time we'll we'll succeed. Um, you know, this is how slavery is preserved, and we're kept from ever stopping and going, ouch, this stinks. We're in pain. The operating system of the ego that we're using is not getting us the happiness, the sense of inner peace, the sense of abiding, continuous, abundant love that we want, um, it, it's just not there. Uh, one of my favorite lines from A Course in Miracles says, tolerance for pain may be high, but it is not without limit. Eventually, everyone must recognize that there must be a better way, and I'm paraphrasing it, obviously. Uh, mm -hmm. In other words, the older you get, the more you begin to realize that all of those things that looked so good and so attainable when you were in your early 20s, um, either you haven't gotten there and you realize you're never going to get there, you know, you're not going to be president, who would want to be, um, or you got there and you got them and they didn't satisfy you in the way you thought they would. Uh, so at a certain point, the ego's game is exposed, and at that point we can wake up to our enslavement. Um, and Chapter 2 of From Plagues to Miracles goes into all of the various ways that we are enslaved. We're enslaved to our possessions. We're enslaved <clears throat> to, to our desire for money. We're enslaved to our bodies, both for their sense of beauty and to avoid sickness and infirmity. We're enslaved to time because we think that, you know, there's never enough. And uh, that's true in the course of a day. You know, I mean, 24 hours, not nearly enough. Uh, no time to sleep, no time to get done all we need to do. Uh, can hardly check your emails in that space of time. Uh, but at the same time, it's not enough because we're going to die at the end. But most of all, uh, oh, we're enslaved to relationships. We're enslaved to the roles we play. Uh, I think it's a very useful exercise, and I won't do it right now, but perhaps sometime today or uh, sometime in the week ahead. Just sit down and get out a piece of paper and write down all of the various roles that you have taken on as part of your self-concept. Father, mother, husband, wife, son, daughter, employee, um, the funny one, the sad one, the victim, uh, the, the innovator, the, uh, the comedian. Um, everybody has multiple roles and, and, and identities that they wear, but we seldom pause to really look at them because each one of them, you know, it is just a role, and as any actor can tell you, a role comes to an end when the play is over. Behind the role, who are you? When you take off the mask of that role, who are you? So all of these are the ways in which uh, we allow ourselves to be enslaved. What's the way out of slavery? Well, Exodus tells us we can't find that ourselves. The Hebrew people who are us in the parable of Exodus, they never rise up against Pharaoh. They never say, what are we doing here? You know, we, we have our own land, the promised land where we belong. No, they need some 
part some some someone who is of their lineage, Moses, but who also knows freedom and who is connected to God in a much more direct and personal way to say, let me lead you out of here. So each part of each one of us also has on our mind um, the Moses mind, as From Plagues to Miracles calls it, or the Holy Spirit, or the Christ mind. I really don't care what words we give it. Um, remember, words are just the ego's ways of labeling and creating judgments. So, you know, if uh, if I'm Christian and I hear, you know, it's the Allah mind, whoa. I mean, I've actually heard people say, you know, you know, um, they don't believe in our God. They believe in Allah. It, it's just different names for the same God, obviously. Um, so um, I just lost track of my thoughts. But uh, but any, any, anyway, um, you know, the way out, yeah, the way out is – is already instilled in us because it's our true nature. The ego is like this, um, like the clouds that float across a beautiful clear sky. They take on all these different forms. They look like castles. They look like clowns. They look like dancing bears, what have you. Um, and you could get lost in them and in that panoply of forms. And, you know, that's the world we live in. But behind it is always the same, perfectly clear, perfectly um, transparent and translucent oneness of the sky. And that is what the Christ mind, the Moses mind is about, is getting in touch with that. That's why meditation is such a powerful tool in spiritual disciplines, because when we meditate, we recognize that that inner voice of the ego is, 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 is static is chatter. Uh, and when it comes up, we just gently let it go. We recognize that all of those concerns and fantasies, all of the, the, the desires and lusts and fears that parade through our mind are just that. They're static, and, and we let them go. And as we get better and better at that process, as we learn to do that with more and more skill and can just sit in the space of quiet, what the Bible calls the peace that passeth understanding, we begin to recognize that that's our true self, that's our identity, and that is eternal and timeless. Um, uh, the, uh, the, yogis, the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali use the metaphor of, of a, a lake that when you reach down and stir up the mud in the bottom, you get all this debris and cloudy murk in the middle, and you, you can no longer see the bottom of the lake, you can't see the, the, the foundation. But if you get still and you let all of that settle, then the water clears again, and once you can see right through it to the bottom. I think that's a lovely metaphor, and obviously it's stood the test of time of uh, centuries and centuries. So we want to wake up to our enslavement to the ego. We want to recognize that the ego is indeed a murderer in that it wants us dead. It believes in death. It's terrified of death, but secretly it courts it. Uh, it is a thief. It's constantly trying to borrow from others to bolster itself and to borrow from the world to prove that it's really worthwhile and has something. And it is very definitely a slave master because in going through those two uh, th those processes, it enslaves us to a sense of self that isn't real and keeps us from from embracing and experiencing our true oneness, which when you touch base and touch into it is absolutely wonderful, resplendent. There is literally nothing in this world that is the like uh, or, or that's equivalent to it. This world does not offer any experience that, that comes close to the truth. It can't because it's not true.
Um, I guess the final uh, thing that I would uh, offer is the idea that, um, you know, the Hebrews are enslaved in Egypt and they want to get to the promised land. The world of ego is Egypt. It's, it's the world of slavery. If you have seen the movie The Matrix, this is, um, again, another lovely metaphor. I would skip the second and third movies in the series, but the first one is well worth your while if you can uh, overlook all of the uh, violence. But that idea that, you know, we're walking around in a facsimile world uh, that has absolutely no reality. And indeed, even from a neurophysiological standpoint, there is no way to prove that there is a world out there. What do I mean by that? Well, what you think you are seeing, science will tell you, is just, you know, um, nerve impulses being transmitted by the cells of your retina, which are sensitive to light and motion, and they... They, they transmit the impulse up into your, the lower part of your brain, the lateral geniculate, which then goes up into the, the upper brain. And, and we assemble all of these things and construct a reality out of it. But there, there, there really is no proof that there's a reality there. Um, when you take people from uh, third world countries who've never watched television, uh, and I don't know whether this would hold true with the modern big screen TVs, the LCDs and plasmas, but when they were pixel TVs, it certainly was true. If you showed them a TV screen, they wouldn't see an image on there. We have to learn to see that because all of those tiny dots and pixels don't necessarily get assembled into one coherent image of, of something that we recognize. Uh, it takes time to learn that. People who are um, blind from birth with cataracts, when they get cataract surgery, they don't immediately see the world that we're seeing. This is the process of ego formation that happens as we grow up and we have language and we identify that, oh, you know, this is where my body ends and this is where the chair begins and the desk begins. So even from uh, a materialistic science standpoint, there really is no world out there. It could all just be your own uh, very complex fantasy. Me talking to you here, no, I, it could be a, a, a complete figment of your imagination. But if so, it's a figment that wants you to wake up. And the only reason to understand ego is to be able to see its, um, it, its, its machinations, identify them as they're happening, and, as the Course says, realize there really is a better way, and then begin to practice that. And as we practice it, we discover this other identity that I was talking about. Okay, enough uh, for today. Um, Char, let me turn it over to you uh, for thoughts, addendums, um, insights, <laughs> wherever you want to go, my dear. <laughs> well, it's, it's funny because I was, you know, I, I like to jot notes as you're talking and write down different things you say so I can reference them. And most of what I uh, wrote down, you kind of mentioned in your summary. So it's it's funny. <laughs> it's it's you know I always Sorry get a kick that. out of this. No, no, it's perfect because it shows the connectedness. You're in New mm. Jersey, I'm in Florida, and we don't get a chance to say what do you want to talk about. We just no, go we and 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 then you know you give your discourse. I make my little notes, and it's and there have been instances where you I'm writing the words as you say them, and it's a simultaneous thing. It. So so just to demonstrate to the listeners that this process is equally uh, fascinating for us because of the way it works. But when I had... We're all one uh, mind. We are. We really are. And and I love that you ended on the note that you did about reality. 
because what I wrote was that reality is not rooted in science and molecular structure. In the world of form, it is truth that illuminates the reality of our beliefs, fears, and situations. And then you segued into, well, how do we get out of this? You know, and I, I loved everything you said about it because to overcome the separateness, I, you know, I, I often say, see others as a spark of light. Try to get beyond the the curtain and the limitations of skin mm-hmm. and eyes and behavior, especially. Um, and I wanted to reference. Uh, suppose you're confronted with something. You say, okay, well this this world's an illusion. Okay, most people can understand that to a, a pretty decent degree. But let's talk about an instance where you're in an argument with another person for whatever reason, and then you're confronted. And it's it's right in your face, and you, you say, how can this not be real? And then it's this heated, intense experience. But if you if you manage to pull back, and I say, open your spiritual sight, and look at this person as a spark of light, a child of God, a brother, a sister, you know, or even in a physical sense, as an innocent baby. You know, you can you can see all of those behaviors and see where they're coming from. I think it's the shock that we experience, you know, and, and asking that, look at that question, like, where is this coming from? It's all coming from fear, you know, and if you listen yes. to them with your heart and and see them in with your spiritual sight, you will see that they are just afraid, you know, and all of the accusations that that come at you, all of the projections, they're really just cries for help. And if we look at that, then the circumstance is easier to navigate. I mean, is there reality to, you know, the the world of form? Well, yeah, then, and that's what science has figured out. Here's how it all works. Here's how this impacts this. And that's all well and good. But when it comes to the ego, and as you put it, it's the operating system we use to navigate life in the world around us. And you go on to say, in fact, it's the only obstacle to remembering our true self in God. That is the only thing that's in our way because in your in your book and then in A Course in Miracles, it goes um, deeply into the concept that we can never be far from our Creator and our will is always in accordance with His. It's the ego that tries to convince you otherwise and this is the very source of any type of dissatisfaction. And... You had mentioned towards the end of your discourse, um, it keeps you dancing, it keeps you seeking, it keeps you, yes. you know, reaching. And I wrote down, and it also keeps you dissatisfied, and that is its trick. Because you would think once you get to the top of that mountain and you get that expensive car or that lovely home or that or the partner that you want, why do you not experience peace other than for a brief amount of time in which you experience a euphoria, which I translate as the ego sense of triumph over the world because of its fear. And then it's kind of a state of awe, which is awe is totally of the ego. It's kind of like, I didn't think I could do it, but I pulled it off. And now I'm in all of this triumph <laughs> and you have this euphoria. And then after a while you get used to the idea and then it dissipates and then you look for something else to chase after. But I know I've said it before, but I'll say it again. One of, one of my favorite lines in the book, because it's so succinct, is the ego will forever have you chasing what it does not want you to find. And this 
And this is, and 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 I repeat it so often because it really, it really slammed home for me the concept that God is not against me. Anything that's happened in my life that I'm not happy with, I brought on myself. Whether you go to the metaphysical side and say, you know, we attract the experiences that we most need to learn, we summon those who will be our teachers, or whether you go with the ego versus um, the higher self, that God has always been there. He's always been my friend, and my will has always been in accordance with his. I wanted peace. That is my will. But my ego Mm. said that the only way to peace was to get that job or get a better car or, you know, buy a home and, and do all these things that reinforce and support my beliefs about myself in my self-concept, you know, that exactly. I am worthy of something or someone through acquisition. And, you know, and it's, and it's, it's just such a, I have to watch my language. It's a real trick of the mind, you know. It's a real mind scramble. Let me say mind scramble. <laughs> because <laughs> look, look at what we do to ourselves. Look at what we do to others in our quest for peace and happiness. But if we just relax and let that tape that plays every day, all day, which is only a reflection of the, the inner workings of the mind, I need to remember to do this, and I can't, I can't seem to remember to forget that to forget that it happened, to forget the way that person made me feel. I can't seem to forget. And like you said, the body's the only thing that can live in the present. The mind can go in either direction, the past and the future, often simultaneously both, because it also says in the Course, you look upon your past and think that you see your future and its remains. That it's not the case. Or maybe that's not in The Course in Miracles. Maybe that was said directly to me. <laughs> but either way, it's another one of those statements that's embedded in my mind to help me get myself out of those inky blue spells so that the thoughts and the desires and, and the fantasies that you mentioned, when we become a slave to them, that is when we allow it to bring us down and, and descend into depression and a manic voracious appetite for power and money and things that don't matter. What matters is love. What matters is truth. And those of us who can get over the intensities of our ego, there is no size. We we often say, oh, that person's got a big ego. It's not so much about size. It's about intensity. But once we learn how to simmer that intensity down and and get into that quiet space where we do know God and we know our true selves, that is when we allow peace to happen. And I liked what you said about uh, people being like frightened children, you know, because that pretty much sounded like most of the people I've worked with, <laughs> you know, just these frightened <laughs> people running around. It's crazy. Um, but but that's, you know, largely the ideas that I had in my head. Um, you answered uh, one of the questions I had, you know, how to get out of it. You say at the end of Chapter 1, In From Plagues to Miracles, um, I like the way you put this, Therefore, when we read Exodus as a parable of the mind, we must start by asking what slavery means for us today. In what ways are our minds in bondage? For if we cannot recognize the chains around our own minds, we will have no hope of escaping. And I didn't get a chance to to tell you or ask you. I know you've been busy. You, You just recently, you got off an airplane. 
But yeah. I thought, well, this would be a great segment where we put together an exercise for people to complete. Um, I love giving assignments, self, self-exploratory assignments. So if at a later time you want to put a questionnaire together, and then we can publish it on our respective websites for people just to make it a little more concise for them and give them a direction. But I had wanted to do that, and you mentioned, you know, get a piece of paper, sit down, and just look yeah. in in the chapters in A Course of Miracles that you uh, recommended for the um, suggested reading, Chapter 7, Section 6, and Chapter 11, Section 5. There's such practical information in those chapters on how to get out of, out of the, the racing, maniacal mind. So I, I totally recommend that everybody really just take a look. But I think my point was, in those sections, it makes it clear. Most of us are afraid to look at what we're afraid of because we yeah, think it's it real. It makes clear that the ego wants that, that the ego needs to keep us afraid because if we look squarely at it, we're going to see that it's it's nothing. Um, so it, it, as you said, it, there's somewhere in one of those chapters it says the ego needs to minimize fear but not eliminate it because it can't right. eliminate it. It's based on fear. Um, right. But if we saw, if we fully experienced just how terrifying it was, you know, then there wouldn't even be a question. We'd 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 drop it and re-embrace our spirit self in an instant. Mm-hmm. And it and it talks about you know to look at it and see that there's nothing there. That's all that's going to happen because when you look yes. at it with the light, it's like looking in a room for all the sh- looking in a dark room for the shadows. And you say, well, I I don't see anything. I can't find the shadows. And then you turn the light on and you say, well, there are no shadows. No, they're not, because you cast a light on it. So if you have a problem in your life, if you have a relationship that is in conflict for whatever reason, take that issue and hold it up to the light, because we're focusing on the shadows cast by whatever is presenting and looming in front of us as conflict, as lack, you know, as self-loathing. You know, look at these things, take a good look at it, and just allow yourself to let it go. I also love how you said, you know, the, the Patanjali, I think it was, yeah. in the reference to stirring the muck at the bottom of the pond. Yes, when, when that sediment settles back down and you have this artificial piece, but you still have the sediment, I always say, be willing to stir it up. It, it's not pretty. It's not fun. And there, there will be many tears shed. But be willing to stir it up, if only for the purpose of letting it go. And the more you do that, the less murk there is and the clearer the pond and equate the pond with your with the um the state of your heart, the state of your mind. Allow peace in because you've let those things go and they're no longer in the element. You are truly whole. It's this the the concept that we are separate, that life happens to us that to us. perpetuates the ego's goal, which is, you know, Fear to, to keep you captive, and that's what we don't yeah. want. Yeah. Um, I hope that I, was coherent. Think, <laughs> um, you know, I don't think I don't think mine was coherent. I think we covered it all, though, uh, <laughs> and did it very, very well. Um, yeah, you, you, when you were you, I, I just as a sort of a, a an addendum or a, a, a coda. Um, you know, if we 
recognize that the external world really isn't there. It's a projection of our mind. Uh, you know, the A Course in Miracles says projection makes perception, or the world is, you know, uh, a mirror, uh, you know, not a fact. Um, then anything that happens to us is a potential learning experience. So when you were talking about, you know, getting into a, an argument or a conflict with someone and, you know, and you just feel like they, they've completely dissed you and, you know, you want to rip them a new one or whatever, mm -hmm. uh, to the extent that you look at that as they're out there and you're over here and you're right and they're wrong, there is no learning value in that. But when you do this radical reframe that everything that happens is either love and peace or it's showing you a spotlight where you are perceiving a world that is not at love and peace. Uh, and therefore, by shining a spotlight on it, it's allowing you to, 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 to peer into your own self where you need to do inner work. In that sense, uh, it's a gift. Um, the, I've been lately trying to uh, you know, look at things that disturb me as in the same way I would look at, you know, walking down the street and finding a $100 bill. Wow, look at this. This is great. I just found this amazing thing. You know, if, if there's a driver who's pissing me off or I see someone talking on TV and, you know, my ego mind goes, ah, oh, what an idiot. I can't believe he's saying that. I can pull back, pause and go, oh, wait a minute. This is showing me a place where, yeah, where I'm locked in judgment, where I believe that I know better than, uh, you know, my experience is, is somehow more worthwhile. But most of all, it's showing me a place where I'm not at peace. You know, the reasons that we come up with are, are ultimately just ego mind reasons. The only reason we're ever not at peace is because we've believed we're an ego and we've blocked uh, love out of our uh, experience. Mm -hmm. So any place where there's conflict, adversity, sadness, shame, fear, um, anger, you name it, each one of those simply becomes an opportunity to look within and, uh, and make a course correction. In, in the Exodus story, this is what, I mean, and, and if there is a core to Exodus, this is it. This is what the whole um, Ten Plagues thing is all about. You know, when we go through life and experience the world as an ego, identified with the ego mind, we will encounter adversity, hardships, that is to say, plagues. The Pharaoh of Exodus, the embodiment of the ego mind, this being that thinks it's the ruler and king of the known universe and more powerful than anyone. Oh, but it doesn't know God, by the way, because uh, Pharaoh says that directly. Um, you know, the, 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 this in, incredible being is going to stumble into one hardship after another, and it can't correct any of them. You know, Pharaoh, for all of his prowess and his magicians and his, you know, great engineers, he can't undo any, even the first plague. Uh, and so each time he goes sort of scurrying back, okay, you know, well, maybe I'll take, maybe I'll do this, maybe I'll do that. But the ego mind really can't make the only change that counts. And that is the change that says, you know, I'm not an ego, I'm not a body, I am as God created me. The ego is not as God created me. So, so Pharaoh doesn't have a, Pharaoh can't get to the promised land. Pharaoh's not really a human being. It's, it's a representative of, 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 of the ego mind. But for us, wherever there's a plague in our life, someone who's really just floored us, a situation that's blown our minds, 
it, it's it's an opportunity to look within, and um, you know, and if it's happening to you, then then you know, there it is. It it, it must be. Uh, you must be ready and ripe for it. Sometimes it doesn't seem that way, and we can look around and look at other people's experiences and use them to make judgments. Uh, you know, uh, I mean, I'll often think about people who've lost a child, and I can't imagine what that would be like. And, you know, and you can get into a whole inner death spiral of thought, oh, if that happened, I don't, you know, I'd just commit suicide, whatever. But unless it's in your experience, uh, then it isn't really worthwhile for you to think of it. And if it is in your experience, then then you have indeed taken on quite a challenge. But the loss even of a child is not the same as the loss of love. There is still love in you. There is love in the planet. Uh, and, and, and it can be brought forward. But one other thought, and then, um, and then I'll uh, back off again here. According to A Course in Miracles, you know, the Moses mind, Holy Spirit, will never bring us intentionally into fear. That's what the ego likes to do. The ego is the one who goes, well, you know, how about Hitler? What would we do with him? Can we really forgive Hitler? Or the ego is the one who goes, well, but if you're on a plane and the terrorists have hijacked it and it's crashing to the ground, how are you going to feel about spirit then? I mean, the ego can paint one nightmare after another that terrifies us and causes us to completely just flee from our, our, our sense of our spirit-mindedness. But what A Course in Miracles says is that you will get what you are ready for if you are indeed on the spiritual path and working it in that way. Um, another one of my favorite lines, you know, don't fear, you will not be hurled into reality. Uh, because that is what we fear. As egos, we're afraid, oh, man, if we let God in, you know, God's just going to overwhelm this and, and we're going to die. I mean, isn't that what will happen if we have no body? We're going to die. No, we can't let God in. I don't want to die. Well, no, you don't really die. What happens is you let go of your body, um, which I'm told is kind of like taking off a tight glove at the end of the day, uh, you know, but the actual essence of you doesn't die. But in going through life with a consciously spiritual focus, we are told that that we will never intentionally be brought into fear. And I can tell you from my own life uh, that um, that there are plenty of places where I thought things were going wrong that in retrospect were absolutely correct for my life path. If any one of my screenplays had sold, I would be in Hollywood right now and I wouldn't be here and I wouldn't be teaching A Course in Miracles. And I I know I would much rather be here than there. Um, you know, uh, we get a customized, perfect fit curriculum for for our own spiritual learning path. It, it couldn't be more appropriate for you. Someone else will get a different one that's more appropriate for them. That's why comparison is ultimately completely meaningless. The only thing that has any meaning is walking your path, seeing those places where the plagues come up, the adversities, the conflicts, recognizing that they're there to help shine a light on your ego self and allow you to cross over that Red Sea into your your your, your real self, your Moses mind, your Christ mind, um, and to keep doing that until, I guess, they, those episodes stop showing up. And at that point, you're teaching others how to do it. Um, but But so... Yeah, it's not that we're never going to encounter these things, because we will. Um, it's just that whenever we do, we can really 
we can understand it from a very different perspective uh, and work as quickly as we can to to heal that which within us which sees the conflict, which experiences the conflict, um, and get back to love, which is our true nature. Teach only love for that is what you are, says A Course in Miracles. Was that clear? <laughs> oh, my God, it was beautiful. It's hard to even, <laughs> you know, you. it's like, what can I, what icing can I possibly put on it? But you're correct. And let me just jot a note before I lose my thought. I hate when that happens. Sure. Yeah. Okay. And yes, I, I just to just to reinforce what you said, you really can't correct anything but your perceptions and, and intentions. We can try attempt to resolve a problem or a situation, but until we correct our perception of it, it will never truly be resolved. It'll just be modified. And I also wanted to, you know, make the statement as long as you're in a body, you have an ego. And as long as <laughs> yes. you and as long cuz that's where the ego yes. lives, you know. Yes. The kingdom of heaven is in the heart. God, you know, let, allow him into your mind or the Holy Spirit or Jesus or um Allah or Buddha, whoever you have to lean on, let them into your mind. Ask ask to see through their eyes, hear through their ears, you know, and that's another point I wanted to make. Don't draw conclusions like Dr. Bob said. It's all about suspending your judgment you know what good or bad when we determine something to be good or bad likable or uh not pleasant those are judgments if you suspend judgment pull back and just observe it and ask for guidance on every situation you'll be that much better off because as long as you're on this planet there will be situations to deal with but if you can look at them clearly through and see others through the eyes of god and see them for who they really are and operate from the higher self, which is not in this world. The ego is in this world. The higher self is above. Yep. It's with God, you know. And and that's how I always see it. I see it as like if you see a person and then heaven technically is three feet over your head. But, but imagine it even further and imagine a string that goes to your higher self and then your higher self is never not in touch with God. At any point, what happens is this little cloud called the ego clouds your vision, clouds your thoughts, clouds your mind, you know, and you you can have vision or you can have judgment, according to A Course in Miracles, but you cannot have both. Yeah. So you must remember, choose. judgment is judgment is always based on the past. You know, what can you judge except what you've experienced before? And the moment you're judging based on your past. You're basically repeating your past. You're, you're giving it the status of ultimate reality, uh, yes. and, and and therefore your future is going to show up exactly like your past. So in, in that equation, there is no room for change. Um, so we have to be able to suspend the past or at the very least recognize it as, you know, okay, that was a source of plagues and I don't want that anymore in, in order to go forward. Exactly. Um, there, the, a prayer from uh, the Course in Chapter 14 that I use all the time uh, goes as follows. I do not know what anything, including this, means, that is, this being whatever circumstance you find yourself in. I do not know what anything, including this, means, and so I do not know how to respond to it, and I will not use my own past learning as the light to guide me now. You know, if that's beginner's mind in the Buddhist framework, you are allowing each 
each experience to come to you fresh with no preconceptions, nothing from the past. And in that way, um, you know, your vision is clear and what you're going to what you're likely going to see is just the light of God, uh, the light of spirit and oneness wherever you look. Um, yes. You'll see a true reflection rather than a repetition of what you yes. just like you were afraid of in the past. Because the, the more you, you go back there, you're putting more energy into it, stealing it from the present. And your future is created in the present based on everything you hold in the subconscious mind. It's crazy. Exactly. But we have um, we have a listener who would like to participate in the conversation. Okay. Dr. Bob, so I'm Great. going to bring him live on the air. Bring you on the air, okay. Erico 469. Hi, welcome to the show. Yes, hello. I love this. This is just what I need at this particular time. Thank you so much. And, what um, is your name, ma'am? Yes, um, my name is Stacy. Stacy. And what, Hi, Stacey. What would you like to say or ask? You know, I would like to say and ask, you know, okay, you know how it is when we always say, we look, we always have been taught to go outside of ourselves and trust outside or know from outside or give from outside. We never thought to give unto ourselves or trust our own uh, inner being. And my question is, well, not a question, let me add. Um, I had to get to a point to where I realized it had got to a point where I stopped trusting my husband. And I realized it wasn't my husband that I was not trusting. I had developed that mind against him. So it's not so much that I was distrusting him. I got to the point where it's like I was trusting the negative mind that I built against him which I can say the system that was putting there, some people call it the ego. I call it the system. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. And I recognized, I got to the point to where when I started, because I don't even, I, I, I appreciate the ego. I appreciate the system because there's so much that I can learn from that. As long as I'm in tune with that higher self, it'll, it'll kind of tell me what it's about and why it needs to be done on this plane. And so when exactly. I started trusting the higher self, then I recognized it was the ego in me, it was the part of me that I distrusted, was the part that was really trying to get to me to let me know there were some things about me that I had not trusted, no, that I was trusting that I shouldn't have trusted about myself. So it didn't want it to be exposed, so it started blaming my spouse. Oh, my God, I so love this book. I love this show. This is so on point. But... um. And you you see where I'm going with it, and I it's like yes. it's just hitting yes. all of it's hitting everything, and sometimes I will fall back into this hole. It's like this hole is waiting on me to fall back in it. It's like if I put myself back in this situation, because there are times it's like if he was to come, you know, if I was to go and kiss him, he would act like I'm just so like oh he hates the he just hates the very presence of me when I go and kiss him. But what it is is that it's, not, it's my higher self not being able to tap into myself and understand why that is. That's that still that false place in me. It's like he's trying to trust genuine love, or is it me trying to bash him out because he's not kissing me back? You see what I'm saying? There you go. So I, yeah. I, so, I so get it. I mean, I really get it. Now, stand on that, stand on that pathway is, very, very difficult when you start have when you start trusting that ego. You know, when you start trusting that thing, you have built such a 
a communication with it, but it's live. <laughs> well, so with your, you know, with your husband, um, if he's not comfortable kissing you back, what does that show? Well, that means he's not comfortable with love. So if he's not comfortable with love and you choose to meet it with lack of love on your end, great. Now we got two people, neither of whom can, can bring love into the picture. Exactly. And, and that, right. Yep, and that can't go anywhere good. It hasn't always been that way. It was always, he put me so high at the pedestal to where it's like I needed to knock me down because I didn't want to... I didn't want to have to walk that tightrope. I didn't want to be up in that place because realize uh-huh. he put himself up there, and when he fall, I'm going to fall with him. You follow me? It's like, don't put me That's up there. That's the problem because, with pedestals. Yes, exactly. So the thing about it is now I am where he was so used to me bringing this love and affection to where it's like now he's trying to see who's this coming because I taught him to see that way based on how I treated him. I was teaching them this stuff. So now I had to get to the point to where, okay, I cannot afford to, I cannot afford for anyone, especially us, to fall off from the mishap of me knowing my true self. That's what I have to give. Because if I don't give my true self, I'm going to really receive the part of me that I don't want. And I so get it. This you need to broadcast. You need to put this on television so everybody can hear this. <laughs> this is Just a let Oprah beautiful, know the next time you beautiful see class. <laughs> Thank you so yes. much. Oh, you're you so are, welcome. You are Thank so well spoken, and you so get it. The only thing I want to uh, point out. The only thing I want to point out, because I know uh-huh. you see you see so clearly, and even even for the for that time where, oh, I'm doing it again, and then and you and you have to pull yourself out of that. It took me a little while, but I got really good at it. Look at the length uh, of time it takes you from that cloudy perception to get back to a clear perception and peace. Because you'll notice the more you practice this, and your husband is your best teacher, so the more often you yes. practice this, mm-hmm. the shorter mm-hmm. and shorter the amount of time where you stay there. Get back to uh, peace. That's so possible. true. If it takes yes. you if, if it takes you three days, that's not bad. But if it can take you mm. twenty minutes or less, you're on it. You're wow. on it. Wow, you, you have, and you I, have the ego conquered. Yeah, I mean, the only other thing I would add is in you know in our quote unquote love relationships, mm-hmm. uh, the concept of specialness becomes so important. And and when I you know said that the ego is also a thief, uh, this is really what I was thinking most is we feel like we have to sort of steal from the other person what we are lacking in ourselves. Uh, Ultimately, that's the lack of love, but we see it in different forms. Well, you know, I'm not strong. Uh, I can't tell people what I think he can, or he's seeing the same in you. But the problem is thieves always are afraid they're going to be stolen from because that's the world they live in. It's a world of thievery. Um, So that sense of scarcity and lack is is always going to be there. The moment either of you, and in this case you, goes to, you know, I can hold love no matter what happens. That is my being. That is my essence. That is my only uh-huh. reality. Um, then the other person, in a sense, they they can't stay in a place of lack because they can't steal love from you. You're giving it. It's it's exactly. the nature of love to give mm-hmm. itself, mm-hmm. and you mm-hmm. never run out. So you're not in right. lack, and then they're not either. 
Mm-hmm. And it's so funny you said that because I I had told him some years back. I said, you know, when you really think about it, if love is energy, it's just like electricity. You can't give it and you can't take it. You can only plug into it. I said, and if yes. we're supposed to be God, if we're supposed to be the God from the God, all creator and beyond that, if we're supposed to be that and we come from that energy, then I can't give you love and you can't give me love. So your love is That's because right. you're God, you can do whatever you choose with it. So if you just choose not to if you choose not to use the energy, then to me that's still love. That's still okay. And he's like, Well how yes. is that I said, No, think about it. It's okay. If you choose not to do anything with the energy, you're the God, you can do what you choose to do. But if I choose yep. and the energy is still gonna be there, it's not gonna change exactly. and and when you change your mind about it, then it's yes. still there waiting for you. Oh, you're going to make me cry. This is so beautiful. Mm. She really fits in, huh? Beautiful. Have you ever studied A Course in Miracles? Have you ever heard of it? No, I haven't. only thing I study is myself. I had to even stop studying books. I had to stop studying everything because it started altering my thoughts. And I got away from all of that stuff. So now I just study me and I study other humans and I study dirt. I study... I look at it and ask questions. <laughs> I do, too. Here's the freaky thing. Aside from brilliance of this entire conversation, that's what I had yes. to do. I remember it was in the late 90s. I remember walking past A Course in Miracles on a bookshelf in a store at 3rd mm-hmm. and Chestnut in Philadelphia. Is at the right end. I, can, huh. I see what I'm wearing, okay? And I touched uh-huh. it. And I said no, and I walked away. And then it came back into my life when I was 33, which was in 2001. And one of the greatest things I found was the way it validated that all the time I spent studying myself, my pain, my situations, the abuse, whatever, is that, like you, I managed to figure some of these things out. And then the things that I didn't, it dropped it right into the gaps. So if you were... If yeah, you were to get yeah. this book, it would blow you away at how much you figured out on your own. That's good. You know yes, what I mean? I that's yes, yes. It's a life changer. And that's why we're so into this. Dr. Bob was there before it was published, so he really, you know, has a grasp on it. But the mm. reason we well, yeah. it is because it helps people change their minds so it can change your life. Yeah, I agree with that. Oh, wow. This is just so... This is good. This is the first time I'm listening to the to your show, Slash Class. I yeah. will go back and listen to this. I think I'm going to follow you because I love this. is good. Please do. Well, thank you. We have a lot of great stuff coming. Um, you can also go to my website, yes. spiritualinsightsradio.com, and I have all of our classes together in a yes. list. You just click on what you want to do. You go to mm-hmm. Bob, Dr. Bob's website from com. Absolutely read his book. But if you get a copy of A Course in Miracles, there it contains lessons, one for every day of the year, and that helps you break uh-huh. the ego down, restructure the mind. Uh, in life. Bob, you know Dr. Bob, will you explain the lessons to her? Because I'm, I'm at a loss for words. I'm so blown away. <laughs> well, I, I think the idea is, I mean, and, and uh, you know, you, you said it yourself, this is very hard work to do. You know, it's hard to sort of stay vigilant for spirit uh, you know, every moment. Um, I, I don't know anyone who can do that. Uh, you know, uh, but when 
by using a, a, a structure, a format of every day you, you know, wake up and do a lesson, um, and each lesson is different, um, it, it kind of gives you a focus for that day and reminds you that whatever happens in the course of that day, it's all grist for the mill because your only goal, your ultimate goal, is to wake up to the God in you, to the love in uh, you, to the spirit right. in you. I agree. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there are many paths. Uh, you know, I mean, the Course is certainly my path, but uh, the Course itself says it's just one among many. And, you know, we have to follow our own inner guidance. That's the most okay. important thing. And if your inner guidance is telling you that right now, you just want to do your own life and not read anything, then mm-hmm. then you do that. And and if at some point, uh, you know, you're walking along and a book falls on your head, well, then maybe that's what you do then. You know? <laughs> yes, and I do. I do allow. I do allow energy to do me that way. Don't get me wrong. If something does, oh, I'm going to pick it. I'm going to examine it. But yeah. really, it's like looking at something is almost like examining myself because even your way of thinking has a lot to do with mine. It's still, like, and I look at things. I had to stop looking at me as an individual, um, and I didn't know what that was. Now I know what it is. I just don't want to be, I just don't want to see myself as an individual. I really don't. That's I get beautiful. That. I did it one time. I did, and it seemed like it, it, it's so selfish. It is so selfish of being to be considered an individual. You're not, how can you be an individual? You know, but anyway. And it's also, um, it's also not true. You're not an individual. You know, your body yeah. is individual, but uh-huh. your body is uh-huh. not you. And that is the insight yeah. that, you know, we all have to come to eventually. Love your brother right. as yourself. Uh-huh. You know, uh-huh. he, she, uh-huh. they are you. Right. And I <laughs> all right. Yes. Thank and you so just, much. You're welcome. Thank I just, you. I just want to mention, though, when you were talking about your husband, it made me kind of smile because I had to learn, you know, um, without much trouble, but um, my husband is the sweetest guy on the planet. Um, but there was things he was doing that I I would have to, I, I would say, excuse me, I need to go look at this. I'm having a reaction, and go into another room and say, okay, where's this coming from? And yeah. of course, anything anybody does in front of you in the present is going to hit a button, but the button's from the past. So keep in mind that your husband's behavior, attitude, or words are reminding you of something from your past. In my case, my husband reminds me of my mother. Uh, uh. So I have to work with that on a daily basis. And forgiveness happens in layers. And, it, and, and we'll be doing this for all of our lives, you know. <laughs> but it doesn't matter to God when we get it, only that we do. And that's the important and thing see, to remember. And see, he yep. reminds me of the person that I don't want to be. And that's me. He's, he's doing that's the things great. that I don't want to Interesting. That's the thing, you know, and it's like I don't like this self about me, and my husband is a catalyst for it. He is such a catalyst mm. for it. He's so what do you need? Bought- what do a I remarkable need? teacher he is. Yes, and wow. what do you need yes. to do for he, yourself you know, in order to resolve this? What do you need to do? I want you. I want to hear I, you, you say. You know what? What I really need to do is embrace that other side of this. I really Thank do. you. I don't like it, but I need to embrace it. Yeah, Forgive I, I really it. do, because... I am the one that always want to know what was a male and female before it was split. What was night and day before it was split? I want to mm. see things in its wholeness. I, I'm tired of seeing separation. Even Jesus and the devil, what were they when they were born yes. soul? What was it? And that has been my search for 
how many years? I think I've come back down to this, and I still haven't got it, but I feel it. And something tells me, but you do know it. You do know. It. You're actually yes, living yes, yes. and you're not aware of it. You're actually living what you have asked. And it's like, mm. it ain't hit me yet. It just haven't hit me. But I want to see it in this whole Black and white, before it was split, it's not gray. It was something else before it was split. And I want that. That's what I, that's what I want right there. I see it. I unity. see it. Yeah. Oh, goodness gracious. Makes me yeah, cry, right. cry. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, but I'm no, going to say that. Yeah. Thank you so much for calling into the show oh, and, and adding to the Appreciate conversation. You. It was absolutely beautiful. Yes, thank you. We you need to thank we you. need to um, make a make a few more statements and then move on. But um, join us. Uh, do follow the show. Visit the websites. Click on the links in the show description. We would love to have you on board. Absolutely. Awesome. Thank you, Stacy. God bless. Wow. That's brilliant. But we're running out of time, and I didn't want to get cut off. Yep. And uh, you had a prayer that you wanted to do, I, I believe? I do. I love ending with the prayer. So just to Take let everybody away. know. Okay. And for um, December, our um, next segment will definitely be on the second Tuesday of the month. Yes. And on my website, spiritualinsightsradio.com, I have all the segments uh, listed. You can uh, go there and check them out and listen to our past segments. I will also be replaying over the next couple of months most of our segments as well. And do you have anything coming up, Dr. Bob, that you want everyone to know about? Yeah, um, although it would be limited. If if you live in the uh, you know New York, New York, New Jersey area, I am going to be doing the service uh, at the Unity Church in uh, Unity Spiritual Center in Pattonburg, New Jersey, which is um, off of, uh, is it, I think it's I-80, um, and, um, and that will be followed by a workshop on, uh, on, on From Plagues to Miracles. Uh, we'll be not so much going through the book, but doing a little bit of what we talked about today, looking at, you know, who we think we are, how our egos are formed, uh, and then what is that journey forward through plagues to miracles in order to um, remember our wholeness. Uh, so if you're interested in that, um, you know, uh, I would, uh, you know, uh, do an Internet search for, uh, you know, Unity Spiritual Center, Pattonburg, New Jersey, or go to my website, although I haven't posted it yet. I've been that busy that I have not posted this yet, mm-hmm. but it will be up there. Um, and that, but it, it it should be a good Sunday. That would be on Sunday, December seventh, and then of course we'll have our next show on Thursday, the eleventh. Absolutely. Okay. And his website, one more time, is from plagues to miracles dot com. Look for that notification. Okay. So what we like to do is we like to end the show uh, end the show with a prayer that I am taking from called Choose Once Again, Selections from A Course in Miracles, published by the Foundation for Inner Peace. Dr. Bob, thank you once again for an electric, absolutely electric discussion. I absolutely had a blast. This was a good one. Unbelievable. Thank you, me too. Yes. Okay, so I'm going I'm to recite the prayer, and then um, we'll leave it at that. This yes. appears on page 10 of Choose Once Again. Be in my mind, my father, when I wake and shine on me throughout the day today. Let every minute be a time in which I dwell with you, and let me not forget 
my hourly thanksgiving, that you have remained with me, and always will be there to hear my call to you and answer me. As evening comes, let all my thoughts be still of you and of your love. And let me sleep, sure of my safety, certain of your care, and happily aware I am your son. Amen. Amen. Until next time, everyone, God bless and be at peace.